Fog DAO is a group of builders and investors bringing you the best content on how new technologies can be used to make better games. Enjoy the show. GM friends, and welcome to this Future of Gaming Deep Dive. In this series and in this episode specifically, we plan on taking a deep dive into managing deep and complex game economies. So if you would go out and look for the five people that know most about this specific topic, you're you're bound to find our special guest of this episode, which is Hilmar Vekar Petrusson, the CEO of CCP Games, who are best known as the creators of EVE Online. EVE Online has existed uh, almost uh, 20 years and is widely considered to be the game with the most complex economy that exists. Hilmar, super excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. And then we also have Bitcraft partner and my colleague, Carlos Pereira, who is our go-to guy when a team is building an MMO with an open economy. So if you are a team that's building that, Carlos is the person you should talk to. Carlos, welcome. Hey, thank you. All right, let's dive in. Um, Hilmar, could you briefly describe EVE Online's core economic loop and what makes it different from other games? So in its most um, simple way, then um, EVE Online is a, is a game about spaceships, uh, or as they are uh, colloquially called in EVE Online, internet spaceships. The phrase in EVE Online is internet spaceship is serious business which uh, is true in many dimensions. So when it comes to building spaceships, then uh, spaceships are mostly made out of minerals, which reside in asteroids. Um, There is more to it. We have certainly built on this system. But if we go to the beginning, when it was in its uh, most primal form, then you mine some asteroids. They contain minerals. You refine the minerals. You build either out of them spaceships in according to blueprints, or you build components that then fit onto spaceships. You then presumably use the spaceships to become better at mining minerals and transporting them around. Or what some people choose to do, you would rather just throw up the people that are currently mining the minerals, take them away and build your own spaceships for those purposes. Then the d- dream is to band together with um, thousands of your um, internet spaceship friends form an alliance um, and claim territory, which then gives you mining rights to the minerals of the territory. But that means everyone wants to come and, and, and stop you from doing that. So you have to defend the borders and, uh, and sort of implement your own version of rule of law within that territory. Does it make sense to think of EVE Online as a traditional economy? And if it does, what will be its GDP? So um, we shockingly uh, wondered about this for the longest time. And uh, we did hire an economist in 2008. And I proposed to him this exact question. His name was uh, Dr. Eyjólfur Guðmundsson. Uh, he's a resource economist. and. Uh, he joins, and I, I propose this question to him and, and, and says, it's probably best that you start playing the game a bit just to kind of, uh, we have a basic conversation. He starts playing the game, and uh, he does that for about a month, 
And at that point, I sit down with him and he had really gone deep on the game. Um, M Online is a game which is either for you or not for you in, in some ways. And this was the game for him. So he had gone quite deep and got into know every aspect of the game. And I was sitting down with him kind of in, in debriefing after the first month. So is this not a little bit like an economy? Um, and he said, Hilmar, well, it's not really like an economy. It's just an economy. Um, and you could actually uh, reason that it's a better economy than most economies because economies, as we understand them, are usually a statistical approximation of human activity because getting true and real immediate economic data is not really readily available. You have to make inferences, you have to make checks, you have to make, you have to build up a picture. picture. Economies actually are more like a simulation of what's going on rather than what's actually going on. But uh, in a massively multiplayer online game that persists everything that happens into a database, you know exactly what's going on. So in his uh, hot take after a month of playing, then it was an economy and maybe the best one he had ever seen. And what was did he did he give you a number GDP number GDP per capita, per capita number? So the 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 thing about these kind of and you see this often when people are evaluating economies is that um, they're doing it on some exchange rate basis to some other other uh, other economy. So if you were to take for example, let's look at the sort of, uh, there is a gray market about uh, assets in even like, like happens with any persistent state MMO. If I were to take that number, multiply that with the total amount of money in even line, I would get numbers in billions. Um, but that doesn't mean you could liquid the economy. The economy isn't literally liquid in the exchange rate over to dollar. So I know people are uh, do this a lot where they take a few transactions and multiply it by the total amount of uh, virtual currency. I haven't really been a fan of that. So I actually don't really know, but I did for sport take a look at it at some point and you very quickly get into tens of billions. Um, uh, so we more focus on what the economy is like in our own virtual currency, which is called mm -hmm. ISK or Interstellar Credit with a K because it's cool. Love that. It reminds me of some of the shit coins out there in the in the Web3 space where the supply is 15 quadrillion or something. And then the moment you sell one for $1, you're suddenly a quadrillionaire. Um, uh, so liquidity is important to take into mind, in, in mind. Um, when considering the value of things. We started this by comparing game economies to traditional economies. Um, and, you know, traditional economies are an approximation of what's happening. Game economies are literally what's happening. There are other things that you have in hand as a game designer that you don't have in hand as a, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're um, a traditional economist, you know, you're in, in charge of the game as well. Um, what is your your experience with the control you have on the have on the game? What kind of roles does a game developer take, and and how has your your experience been around that over the past twenty years? So um, I would say the the experience of over the past twenty years has been um, 
uh, figuring out a lot. Uh, even if I would say the initial conditions behind the online were pretty sound uh, uh, and evidenced by the fact that it has been going on for almost 20 years, then uh, these kind of things were largely not very well understood at the time when we were making them. We also were 27-year-olds in Iceland and maybe uh, lacked, well, any experience of running economies. So we have been collectively figuring out a lot um, by doing many sort of experiments um, in the economy. Some of which have been written about in various PhD papers throughout the past decades, where um, uh, it becomes a bit of a experimental kitchen for uh, for uh, how humans collectively uh, behave in a system that has certain types of incentives. And I would say what uh, is maybe the hardest or, or which uh, took us a while is to organize the various agencies we have while operating a, a virtual world. So agency is a really good word uh, and maybe uh, go and explain that a bit. So um, as a CEO of a company, I have a certain type of agency. As a game designer in online, I have a certain type of agency. So what is my ability to do to affect things? So when you are operating a virtual world like online, you have several types of agencies. Uh, at the most basic level, we are doing something which is like orchestrating the physics of the world, where we are like messing about with the Planck constant or the weak and strong nuclear power or something on a very basic level. Then there's a level where we're operating as nature, where um, we're kind of deciding on uh, distribution of resources in the world, whether they're symmetrically distributed, asymmetric distributed, um, etc. And uh, and if we start like from the layer of the physics, you almost need physicists to operate on that layer as a background. When it comes to making nature, it's kind of an ecology, kind of a kind of a skill set. Then once you have done your physics and your ecology, then you add humans to the system and uh, and 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 people playing a game there's like a, um, it's important to, to, to think of specialization uh, of the people that are participating in a sophisticated economy. Because if you look through history, how, has, how have economies come to be? They've usually start from the basis of specialization. So we start as being kind of a hunter-gatherer society. It's not a high amount of specialization. It's small bands roaming around. People could argue that this was when we were the happiest. And then agriculture is invented. Agriculture includes a lot of specialized uh, jobs into the system because to know how to, I don't know, selectively breed corn to become the corn we know today, you, you, need, to, you need to specialize quite a bit. In, in, in being able to do that, you need to understand how you're going to rotate crops so that you're, you're not kind of getting diminishing return on year three. You need to know how to 
work the produce, you need to need make meals, you need to, like there's a whole degree of specialization that comes in. So as soon as people invent basically corn, they, they try to find a way to mediate between specialized jobs. And uh, initially they're actually using weights of corn that's how people bid trade in the, in the most essential way. This is a very cumbersome way of doing it. And at some point, they, they, they come up with the idea of minting coins. Um, I think that it's well before uh, uh, it's 2000 BC or something like that. Um, so the, the, the coins become uh, the ability to mediate between specialization. Uh, and that's the formation of trade. Trade also goes a lot into the asymmetric distribution of, of uh, resources and value on the earth. There are places that are sunny, there are places that are humid, there are places that have uranium, there are places that have oil. We know this well. So you, you need to account for all this in your virtual world to build a sophisticated economy. So the specialization of roles is something that you need to invest quite a bit in. Eve does this quite a bit, so uh, some of the complexity of the game comes from the fact that there's a, uh, to deal with the complexity, you need to specialize. So you're the expert in that field. Uh, and then we also need to think of things like probably labor mobility is a, is a, is a, is a good term for it. So how are you going to make sure that there is some friction in just casually be a jack of all trades or, or, or like there, there has to be some investment in the specialization. And then once you have those conditions, then people start to flexibly organize at scale. As uh, it's extremely well out in, laid out in the book Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, then that is the most unique human aspects. So monkeys can uh, flexibly organize at a small scale. Insects can inflexibly organize at a huge scale. Uh, humans are the only uh, species ever on planet Earth that can uh, organize flexibly at scale. Um, and uh, and <clears throat> once you have all those conditions, then you could argue uh, that you have an uh, economy because you have, you have specialized um, specialization of roles. Uh, that can organize into a social cohesion. In our case, they're called corporations. They can actually band together in a larger co social cohesion called alliances. And even if players didn't think that was enough, they, they even added coalitions or factions on top of it. And these can be meta structures that may be grouped together 100,000 people. And, uh, and then the ultimate goal of each social entity is some form of world domination where they want to rule all of evil line to kind of organize the chaos in the system into, into some social order. So this all up and down the stack, you need to master to be able to create a fully functional economy all the way from the physics to the ecology, to the role specialization, to give tools to organize flexibly at scale and give pur purpose such that people will use their, I don't know, love or greed to, to want to build these structures or either creating peace or creating war. That's awesome. Um, and it goes, uh, it goes perfectly into what I wanted to ask about next. 
Um, wanted to go a little bit deeper into the societal structure of Eve, um, both at the macro, right, of whether it's um, corporations, factions, alliances, um, and then down to the um, individual, right? Like who is the typical Eve player? Um, and in going through that, I'd love to, to delineate between, for example, um, what labor may exist um, off game, right? To the extent that people are employing um, real world physical labor to support them, as I've heard it may be the case in a few places. Um, and then also within the labor structure, for example, um, blue collar labor of people that are just doing more simple tasks like mining and transporting versus more complex tasks. And what are those complex tasks? Um, and then, for example, um, who's funding the game? Um, and is that the person who's funding the game also playing the game? Or are there people that are basically investors and those that are more labor? So yeah, I just wanted to sort of open-ended ask to go one layer deeper on the society structure of EVE and how it connects to the physical world. So um, we um, built some social organizational tools in the, into the game uh, when it releases in 2003. We release with a, with a pretty sophisticated, at least for the time, kind of a role-based um, title and security system, which was very much modeled after um, sort of mainframe uh, security models. Uh, or, or like network security models, so that you could limit uh, who you are trusting with access inside your organization. We added to that even where we allowed people into kind of compartmentalize their their the organizational assets into even more uh, separate access control with uh, something called kind of secure containers and uh, role-based for hangar access and things like that. And then in 2004, we added this kind of alliance system where you can bound together uh, families of corporations into kind of like a, something that was inspired by some of the Asian mega corporations, which are these kind of cartel-like structures of fairly big corporations that sort of bound together to be some of the uh, large Asian mega corporations, uh, and uh, then once we have done that, then a lot of the additional things that people started doing was building their own tools. So, uh, and this is actually something I I wish we would have done a better job of, but it is. It turns out it's really hard to make. Uh, uh, social organizational tools, you very quickly enter into uh, kind of why people have HR systems and uh, various corporation control systems in reality. The online is really at the same complexity level that if you if you can make flexible tools for EVE players, you probably should be doing them for Fortune 500 companies also. So we, we kind of failed in many ways to just keep up with EVE players. So what we started to do, we started to uh, open up APIs for e-online players to build their own organizational tools. So if you look at your typical e-online players today, uh, or sort of corporations today, the biggest one, they usually have fairly li large IT department to manage their uh, off-the-shelf tool usage. If you want to get an insight into that, you can go into there's a GitHub repository called Awesome Eve, where you can get an inventory of all the various tools that the Eve community has built against this API system. 
and which then many of the larger uh, organizations they built against that. They implement onboarding program for new employees. They have recruitment programs. They have ship replacement programs. Uh, there are various things that if players have created to to run their companies effectively, and uh, at some point the game at the highest level is a lot about who has better IT department and IT security departments than uh, than anything else. Um, so we increasingly think more our role is to maybe provide tools for people to build tools uh, when it comes to the social organization. So as to your kind of, one of the questions you were asking, what kind of people are, 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 are providing work in the system? Well, some of them are just really uh, IT professionals uh, managing uh, access controls and securities. And, uh, and, and many of the email alliances, when I talk to them, they're, they're kind of complaining about their tech debt in their internal organizational tools because they, by now, after decades of working on this, have turnover. Um, etc. Just like any company will have. Uh, so, what are some of the jobs that people are doing inside Eve? Um, they they definitely go up and down the scale. One of them is providing IT services and 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 information systems for Fortune 500 level uh, complexity systems. A lot of them is about logistics. The uh, it's a war game and. And, and wars are usually won on logistics. So how people manage their logistics is a, is a big deal. Uh, and, and, and those become jobs, I think, which have a lot of, um, sort of, um, mirroring in reality. We often hear stories from people that have been managing logistics in online corporations and then learned a lot about it and then started to make a professional career in logistics. And often in their job interviews, they show what they have been doing with their Excel sheets and E-Online. And E-Online players by far make the most beautiful Excel sheets. Um, and uh, and, and the, the, the people, uh, people specializing in logistics, in reality, very quickly see, well, we need more of this. Um, so uh, that's one aspect. Um, there's a lot of lead, leadership, um, leadership on the most primal level uh, in Himalayan are done by what are called fleet commanders or FCs for short. They are the kind of the nuts and bolts to any warfare in Himalayan happens through fleet commanders. It's by far, uh, I think, the most challenging job in Himalayan. It is probably similar to being like a I don't know, like a squad commander in the military uh, during warfare. That's kind of where the rubber meets the road. It's from the corporate strategy meets we need to keep everyone alive here. Uh, and uh, and the people that uh, have success on that front are, are legends in E-Online. There are also people that call the shots and run big strategic agendas. And they often have a lot of notoriety, but the most respect. I see for the job in online is being uh, a fleet commander. Um, and what can you tell us about mobility, social mobility and inequality in EVE? Um, is there usually a path for someone to come in and 
mine and transport and move up? Um, or do you require a lot of capital to be up? Like how, what is the, you know, if someone plays Eve for five years, one year, five years, 10 years, how much mobility do they get? So, um, this is one of the challenges we have on the outside. So you look at Eve Online from afar. It's a game that's been going on for 20 years. Uh, uh, should I start playing now? Am I not way too late to start right now? And uh, so it's a little bit like uh, reality. So should I start a company in reality? Because, I don't know, Bill Gates has all the money. Uh, I could never catch up. Still, people found companies in reality. Some of them even do catch up to Bill Gates. Uh, some of them don't. But that's maybe not really the, uh, the goal in life. It's just to watch the most stuff when they die. Uh, it's not that competition. Uh, so, but we do uh, struggle with this uh, as a perception. But what people routinely find out if you join them online, especially when you if you either bring friends from reality with you or you make friends inside the game, uh, you, you can have a lot of fun operating at the various strata that exists in your online. And often the ones which are uh, the quote-unquote the largest aren't necessarily the most fun to take part in, just like it is more fun to work at a startup than a Fortune 500. Being a challenger to the status quo is a, is an extremely enticing proposition. Often the larger alliances in even line are very settled in their ways and can maybe function a bit like huge bureaucracies do in, in real life. So often the most, most fun being had in even line is at a much smaller scale. And, uh, and there is, that's rife with opportunity. We are actually introducing now a, a new expansion to your line called Uprising, where we have an improvement to what is uh, called the Factional Warfare System, which is a bit of a simulated warfare mechanic inside the online, uh, in, indeed to allow people more opportunities to kind of very quickly to get into the, into the fun part of just uh, running small-scale sort of squads uh, inside Demon Line, usually wrecking havoc uh, against the bigger ones, uh, or even in this case, the empires. So so even if the game has been going on for 20 years, I mean, it's never been a better time to join. Uh, one more question, I'll then I head back to Nico for a bit. Um, it's interesting to start our conversation talking about logistics and IT um, and all of these um, corporate uh, tasks and to finish the segment talking about fun. Um, is Eve fun? And what does fun mean to you? Or what have you learned about what makes games fun from operating Eve? And I asked that in particular um, against the backdrop of um, you know Web3 Gaming, where we've obviously spent a lot of time and people are saying, look, it has to be fun. Um, and everyone says games have to be fun. It's game first. But like, what does fun even mean when we have this awesome game where people are defining fun as being the best logistics manager. So is he fun? What does fun mean? And what have you learned about fun? So <clears throat> I think uh, there are many of these uh, catchphrases uh, used in games, which are very generic. Uh, one of them is fun. Another one is AAA. And really when you start to drill into what does AAA mean to anyone, and you get 50 different answers. Uh, 
And when you ask people what is fun, uh, I think they are usually describing a form of flow state. I very rarely uh, want to laugh out loud when I'm playing a game. I, uh, I don't think it has ever happened. I've genuinely laughed out loud. Uh, so games are certainly not funny, like uh, if, we, if we stretch fun a bit. So uh, they're not funny, but still they should be fun. Uh, and usually when I start to ask sort of 50 wise about that, what I usually come away with, you're often in some sort of mastery uh, over uh, the challenge the game provides to you. And uh, to reach kind of a flow state, you're usually uh, kind of your skill needs to be matched to the challenge and you need to feel like you have mastered it. So mastery is probably what is more coming out when I really ask people what they mean by fun. Um, autonomy uh, also comes out where people want agency. Uh, in the game that is different than their agency in real life. So I want to be able to master things in a game I cannot master in real life. And, uh, and, and purpose comes out uh, also. I am cheating a bit. This is a, a book written by Daniel Pink uh, about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. But uh, this is a... Is more of a design target, I think, rather than think in these very abstract terms uh, of fun. Um, uh, and, and it's often what people say, and Eve certainly has many moments that introduce extremely strong feelings that are on this spectrum. There's also an element of intensity in E-Online, because when you're playing E-Online, a lot can be at stake. So... That, again, goes into this sort of mastery element of like, when you do play game online, there's a lot to master. And it's, it's a lot in the, in the scope of people will, in the case of game online, spend almost 20 years to master it. Because some of the mastery you need to master is other people playing the game. And, uh, and uh, figuring out how you, how you organize people into, into do your bidding so to speak, is, a, is an infinite journey. So, so while I, I, well, I, I, what, I, what I do think people probably laugh out loud quite a bit, and I've heard recordings of that many times in E-Online, but that's usually the, when people come together and they are uh, passionate about something, uh, laughter will come out. So, I think when you mix together all the challenges, all the, ab all the ability in E-Online to give you something to master, the freedom the game provides, which relates to autonomy, the purpose of your social group that is playing there with you, and the meaningful, deeper friendships you make uh, in, in playing the game, I think you, when you take all this and aggregate, uh, that is fun. Uh, and I... I then relate fun more to happiness uh, than kind of being funny or laughing out loud. I, I, I can make credible, I think by now after 20 years of 
of learning about it, uh, statements that uh, the game does increase happiness when when people uh, get kind of to the to the to the highest peaks of high, online. It also counterintuitively generates misery, uh, and in our experience, you need to have both for any one of them to have meaning. Love that. <clears throat> you mentioned a bit before um, the societal models and all of the functionalities and tooling you've implemented within EVE Online. Would it be fair to say that you know these societal models that you've implemented and the flexibility that players have to organize in, in the ways that they see fit um, is one key aspect that differentiates EVE Online and, and one of the cornerstones of its success? Uh, I think... Uh, one of the cornerstones of its success um, relates back to the economy we were starting on, is that uh, the economy was set up in a sustainable way. And uh, the biggest part of that is that when uh, a spaceship is destroyed in online, it's really gone. And somebody has to build it uh, from scratch again. Uh, it's not left on the field. You can't recover and repair it. Uh, uh, half the modules are actually left in in a in a loot container, which is a part of the incentive structure why PvP works in online. But the majority of the economic value is gone, and no, now somebody needs to do the work of finding the minerals, assembling them into components, and rebuild this rebuild the ship. So every time there is uh, destruction in online, there needs to be replenishment. So the economic loop was pretty sound uh, to begin with. Then, uh, because we had the ability to do so, we could get, make the game uh, quite big and we make the game single shard. So Imolan is not little copies of itself. It is one contiguous uh, universe where everyone exists on a topology that is uh, the map of Imolan. So I think the Sustainable economy, the fact that it is one world and thus everyone can affect each other, that's when we got a pretty strong network effect where every new player into the system brings value to everyone else there. I think we have seen in later years the, the power of network effects uh, when it comes to, to, to many aspects of life. Um, so I think sound economy, single shared and thus strong network effect. Um, and then the fact that the, 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 the game is multiple impossible games to complete. And thus people had to band together uh, to, to be able to uh, get somewhere inside the game, which has then led to a component that we've been gotten more and more sophisticated in understanding, which is kind of the friendship machine aspect of E-Online, is that when we ask people that have played the game for 20 years or close to, why do they stay for such a long time in the game? And it's every, every, every answer relates to the, to the friends they've made inside the game. And we've even gotten that to the point where we started to understand why E Online makes uh, more friendships than, to some extent, reality does. How generalizable are the learnings that you just described? Would you feel comfortable building a fantasy MMO? From scratch, um, I I think they are quite generalizable. I, I I think I'm generalizing a lot here about them. Uh, it, and 
And that is by now uh, almost like a requirement to make a successful game. You have to be, if you, if you want to make an MMO, uh, you need to be able to master these kind of things at the general level. Then you also need to execute game development on modern standards on top of it. So I think that's one of the reasons why there are so few MMOs coming out in recent times. Is the combination of uh, you need to master all the challenges of human line, and then you need to execute at the level of a of a modern uh, hundreds of million dollar game in con- in terms of gameplay and graphics. Uh, and I think the juxtaposition of these two things is is uh, is is quite the the combination. So Carlos and I are uh, both members of the the Bitcraft crypto team, and so um, naturally. We would love to have your take on um, how you're thinking about Web3. For me, the key difference between Web2 and Web3 is a fully open economy with zero friction between value in the real economy and the game economy. Um, But we'd love to hear your thinking around that. Yeah, so um, I think like Web3 is one of those very broad terms like AAA and fun that... uh, it's hard really to get uh, broken down in any detail uh, to get something from it. Uh, what I hear a lot about is about ownership, governance, um, uh, value, transferring between, etc. I hear a lot of these things. And when I look at uh, what people are talking about in relation to Web3, it sounds a lot like my job has been for the past 20 years. Um, we have certainly been uh, taking care of spaceships in a database for 20 years under the guise, even if our, our end-user license agreement actually doesn't agree with our marketing message. If that is an unfortunate time, unfortunate function of the time the game is created in. You have to really set up things like that. But we certainly tell online players that everything in e-online is theirs. Um, and we have largely upheld that uh, for the past 20 years. So when you look at, is there a better way to store things in a database? Uh, maybe, maybe a decentralized database is, is better. But uh, those upstarts uh, have something to prove uh, since we've been doing it for longer. So just the ontology of e-online at least provide some credibility that we can operate the database for decades. Um, but but still, I'm not dismissing it. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a it's a cool idea to make a database that nobody owns, and maybe that will outlast uh, databases that somebody owns. Uh, I think in on on its highest macro sense, it's uh, uh, the uh, decentralized systems in general are less fragile than centralized systems. <laughs> Even if centralized systems can be more efficient in the in the short term, so I don't think the idea is preposterous. I think the technology is maybe has some ways to go, uh, and I think the ideals, uh, if we maybe take all the noise away, of ownership, governance, sovereignty, all these things are are good values to build for. So uh, we have certainly been curious in in monitoring and seeing what's going on. Um, I, I think we're still waiting for the perfect example of of something that brings all of that together. Um, uh, and I'm eager to either see it or to be proven wrong. 
if you if you have concrete examples, um, I mean an Eva Line style game at the scale and complexity of Eva Line, and then also being decentralized and self-owned and open source and and whatnot. I mean these, the the, the, the it, it sounds on paper like a cool idea, but it seems people have lost their ways a bit in 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 just so, sort of perpetual FOMO about something. Uh, and uh, so I I think it remains to be seen whether whether we will actually get an experience like that. Um, I think, you know, one thing that I'd love to, I've, you know, I've, I heard the story once, but um, I'd love for you to share it with others was um, in the topic of challenges with player self-sovereignty and, and, and governance and all of that. Um, once upon a time, you told me a story about a bank in Eve that ran away with everyone's money um, and dealing with that and um, also the the good that came to Eve from that experience. So I was hoping that we could use that story to touch on some of the challenges of player self-governance and the role of the developer um, in those in those systems and you know the, the pros and cons and opportunities that come from it. Yeah, so um, early in Eve Online's um, history, there, there was this uh, case where there was a, an organization inside Demon 9 that was uh, of notable size for the game at the time. There was about 500 people that belonged to that organization, and they were quite successful in the game. They were really good at working together. They had uh, amassed together some territory they were controlling, were uh, reaping the benefits of that and kind of growing in size and influence. Uh, somebody joins that organization and really starts to contribute very quickly, rises to the corporate ranks uh, in, a, in a few months. It might even have been a year. Uh, it's at least it's six months to 12 months in, in, in kind of uh, that person really is a diligent member of the organization and earns the trust of everyone involved. Um, they then um, once they had gained everyone's trust, uh, at some moment, uh, used the access to take all the assets of the corporation away and just run away with them. Uh, and uh, this had never happened, and certainly not to that scale. Uh, so there was an outrage in the player community and saying, CCP needs to undo this. Um, this person has, quote unquote, cheated in the game. They've taken our hard-earned earnings and run away with them. And uh, and there was even an outrage inside the company. Uh, and the outrage inside the company was both that, but also uh, 500 people is a lot at the time uh, due to kind of some challenges with our original uh, publishing plan. Then we had about 30,000 people play at this time. So 500 people were like a sizable part of our uh, economics and the company was barely profitable. So there was an outcry. We have to undo this. Like 500 people are super upset. They're really petitioning us to just make them whole or just undo it. And of course, we could just do either one of those things. We could roll back the server state to the place where they were not dropped. Um, I didn't have the idea of forking the server state to run first two versions of Eve, one where it happened and one where it didn't happen. 
which was later experimented with, but um, uh, or we could just print the money and give them the money. None of these seemed really like good solutions. Uh, rolling back the state would hurt everyone else. They would lose their progress. Printing the money would also, in a way, hurt everyone else. We would dilute their asset. Uh, trying to un like take down the, the the person and retrace their economic impact. It was already a spider web of interactions. Very hard to un undo that. So there, there were certainly the logistics of undoing it were not trivial, even if we could probably solve that. We came to the conclusion that if you just break some people's trust, that is not ours to uphold. Uh, lying and cheating is a part of human behavior, and we're not here to regulate that. So we said, well, uh, the person didn't really cheat in the game. They ha didn't hack anything, didn't any do anything against the rule. Uh, you just shouldn't trust people that shouldn't be trustworthy. And I can not really tell you how to do that. I, I, I have no magic solution for that either. Um, and, and this led to close to 500 people leaving the game. The company is now officially in the red. So, like, put your money where your mouth is, was certainly tested uh, for us at that time. And, and this is a big problem. And we're like, oh, We'd made the wrong call. We should, we should go back. We should make it all whole again. And, but we kind of held the line and just lived with our decision. Uh, even if we certainly doubted whether it was the right one. But then, um, PC Gamer writes an eight page spread about the whole thing and 5,000 people joined the game because, uh, here's a world where, uh, People live and die by the rules of the universe. Uh, there's not some um, big daddy or motherly figures that just makes everything right if things go wrong. So uh, when this happened, it kind of felt a bit like a, a test uh, for whether we're really serious about running a, a, an autonomous world of sorts. It's a really great story. Um, in line with you know, comparing games to real life where there are no gods that can just rewind what happened. You mentioned earlier that, you know, people still start companies, um, although it, it might be difficult to catch up to Bill Gates. But if I wouldn't want to catch up to Bill Gates, I cannot do that by doing the same thing that he did. I have to innovate and use technology perhaps to leverage and in a way, you know, create more value faster um, in order to catch up to him. You know, technology and innovation leverages the, the ground principles of real life. How are you providing the flexibility within a game to allow for like to, the same things to happen? So uh, I think through technology innovation in EVE largely happens through the kind of third-party development ecosystem where people are building better sort of mousetraps to, to, to run companies inside EVE. Uh, true technical technology innovation is unfortunately not encoded into the physics of the game. The, the innovation largely happens by us, CCP, releasing new spaceships, new blueprints, etc. I would love for us to, to come up with sort of innovation physics such that true innovation can happen at the base layer. 
Uh, it's a really high bar to come up with game physics that allows for that, uh, at least in a way where it just doesn't end very quickly, where somebody just traces through the, I, I wouldn't say the tech tree, in this case you wouldn't have any tech tree, but uh, it's an extremely high bar to come up with physics that allow for such innovation. I'm not saying it's impossible, but uh, it, it, it's a high bar. So, so most of the innovation in E-Online is about some social composability rather than any other form of composability. Um, and, and usually people are looking at uh, organizations and say, well, I can do that better than we do things around here. I'm going to uh, fund my own thing, or I don't like the leadership, and, and, and we're going to do something different. So often it's kind of a social stress, cultural reasons uh, that people are, are leaving, or they don't feel like they're progressing enough in their career, uh, or they have an idea of like, we really do, should do X. Uh, I think we can, because the story is well known, uh, and we were talking about Bill Gates. So uh, there, there is this guy who's done pretty important things in gaming called Gabe Noel, uh, who, who made Steam. He was for the longest time at Microsoft, uh, uh, where he, he was kind of lobbying Microsoft to do something like Steam. Uh, and I think he then leaves in the uh, kind of almost with the plan of like, okay, I'll guess it's not possible here. I'm going to make it myself. Obviously, he starts by creating Half-Life. Uh, and then kind of Steam comes along for the journey, largely hated by everyone for the first, I don't know how many years. It was not very popular. Uh, and now uh, Gabe Newell is Gabe and the, the god of all PC gaming, uh, largely worshipped mostly by Reddit. And, and, and he did all this despite uh, Bill Gates having all the money and he was even working for him. So, so the, the stories of Evenline are, are often a bit similar. Where, where people have a, a, a new scheme they want to try out, uh, leadership of the current social organization will have none of that, and they just go out to prove a point. How do you balance, um, you just mentioned people hating Steam, um, and it reminds me of a question I wanted to ask you about the EVE online players and the community. How do you balance their, you know, their wishes for the game with you know what you think will make the game more fun and more, more engaging uh that is uh very hard um it's both hard because uh it's hard to do the right thing all the time um as they say you can please all of the people some of the time some of the people all of the time but not all the people all the time um uh, and sometimes we just make mistakes well we we're we're, we're, we don't have godly wisdom on what to do. Sometimes we try things and they don't really work super well out and we have to clean up sometimes after ourselves. Uh, we're actually coming out of, uh, of a pretty tough period with E-Online where we had to fix things in the economy. The company was, the, co the economy was not well in balance. There was a lot of uh, disparity in uh, agency and power inside the economy due to something we did fairly long time ago, where we introduced uh, super capitals into the game, particularly super capitals that could do mining in a, in a way more industrial scale uh, than before. 
without introducing a huge amount of trade-off in terms of risk. Um, and it was all out of whack. We have had many presentations about this at many fun events and and our own uh, sort of uh, communication about that. So we are kind of coming out of a scarcity period in Eve where we had to rebalance the economy, uh, which actually Evenline is in a is a really good place now. We have several economy indicators that uh, that that show that uh, the economy is in a is better set up for a third decade of success. To some extent, but nobody likes to live through a recession. Like uh, it's just not like a top. It's not a popular thing to uh, have to implement austerity or scarcity or recessions uh, in any economy systems. So uh, it's been tough to to go through that. But uh, we are now switching gears. We just released a, a very well received expansion to the game. That is now bringing new toys and new things to do in the sandbox. But uh, so we, 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 like any social economy, struggle with A, always doing the right thing, and B, when we don't, we need to clean up after ourselves. Uh, and that is just tough to do. It's fascinating how even a virtual economy can have a recession. Given that you know, living in Europe, one of the main reasons for recession is a shortage of energy, right? Gas and oil coming from uh, Russia. Theoretically, Hilmar, you could just press a button and have more more oil and gas. Yes, yes, but uh, I could also theoretically just make a button in Neon Line, press it, and win the game. Uh, where would be the fun in that? That's, that's good I'd answer. actually, um, I'd actually love to to go deeper into that. Um, I feel like one thing that has always um, stuck with me whenever we speak about game design is I feel like I've never heard you talk about designing a game where you're designing a specific loop. It's like as if, you know, if we were talking about a racing game, which this isn't, I've never heard you talking about designing a racetrack. I've only heard you talking about designing the conditions that would make people want to have a racetrack. And that in Eve, the gameplay is largely an emergent property of something else that you're designing. Um, and I'd love it if you could just talk to us a little bit about your philosophy of design and what you know what what things belong to direct design versus indirect design, and the role of emergent gameplay um, for a for a good or for a fulfilling experience. Yeah. So designing for emergence is um, is very much our ethos. Um, the the if you if you look at planet Earth and our involvement in it, um, there's not a lot of game loops which have been designed for us. The uh, all human behavior is through, solving through emergent gameplay puzzles that have either been left there by somebody or or just uh, at a random act of geology um, and uh, geology and ecology. Um, and we always to, wanted to make this kind of community-driven social sandbox. So when you are aiming about doing that, then it's a it's a lot more making kind of a Minecraft than it is making a God of War. Uh, so the that uh, that is just uh, the stance you need to take when you're making a. a a sandbox you have to design for emergence and 
And that is hard to do. It's uh, way more unstructured. You have to believe a lot in the player that is playing, that people are really going to figure out how to make something of this. But uh, that is what we decided to do, and that is what we have made. Certainly, there are gameplay loops uh, designed within it. The uh, combat system in EVE Online is uh, designed uh, to be quite uh, engaging. Uh, the engaging in combat, to my comments about fleet commanders before, is an extremely kind of high-end game activity. Uh, there are aspects of that where you even see people posting their heart rates after playing him online. And their, their pulse rate is going up to 200. Uh, it's like a, a person completing Ironman or something, uh, engaging in PvP and even online. So the, 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 the gameplay and the context around it is quite engaging. Of course, we're doing it in a single-certed MMO, so we don't have a lot of computing resources to spend on it because we have to have it scaled to like 8,000-person fleet fights, which is uh, about, I don't know, it's probably at least, I don't know how much more it is than what people have even attempted. I don't think anyone is really at 1,000. So I, I think we have matches of a few hundreds, and then we have even like at 8,000. So, so we're, we, we're, we're quite constrained in what we can do. but. Uh, uh, I think we have even some ideas on how we can improve that. But there are sort of gameplay loops uh, which are in EVE and could absolutely be improved. Another gameplay loop in, in the cl more classical sense is the actual process of mining, which could definitely be improved off. It uh, doesn't have a lot of unpredictable outcomes. It's a fairly sort of rule-based system that is way too consistent. Um, and... Uh, I think we would be well served in, in making that more probabilistic, more like golden nugget feelings and things like that. So there are gameplay loops in EVE which absolutely could be improved upon. And we do have people which dedicate their life in doing that on the dev team. But uh, my both my upbringing around EVE Online and my involvement in EVE Online is more about the emergent aspects, about the economy, about the social system, etc. So that's why I'm more fluent in those matters. We have people that specialize more in in, in getting sort of second-to-second -second, uh, interaction patterns uh, to a better state. And what's the um, how often are you targeting violence as the emergent property, or not property, but you know as the intermediary thing that happens between whatever you do and wherever the players end? So the uh, as we as we talked about the example earlier, where somebody infiltrated the corporation and stole all the assets, it, that is a form of violence. Like the people involved in that, they felt violated, um, and it isn't maybe violence in the hand-to-hand -hand combat sense. The nobody really gets a bruise from playing him online or a broken arm. Although I guess even that might have happened. Like I said, some of the PvP engagements in EVE are quite intense. So people might even just harm themselves from throwing the monitor on the floor. <laughs> I know I've been that guy almost at some point, and that was like a CRT monitor of size. And I 
when I lost the spaceship, I borrowed from a friend, Denise, which is another story for another day. Um, and um, so, so the, the, the breaking of trust, uh, negative emotions, feeling violated of sorts in a very virtual sense, I think add to the intensity of Eve. And uh, when we have been doing this research into why are people playing him online for decades, they say, they tell us, kind of they, they jump for the graphics and they stay for the friendships they make inside the game. We started to analyze this. Okay, what is really the component of making a friend? And we found it's proximity, duration, uh, frequency, and intensity. And, uh, and it's this intensity factor where uh, these kind of uh, sense of loss, sense of broken trust, uh, etc. They come into the intensity factor. The reason why Eve Online is so tense is that there's so much at stake. To make sure you don't have a losing outcome, you need friends to either help you not lose or friends to pick you up if you lose. Uh, so the, the 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 senses of betrayal and uh, and almost feeling of, of being violated, I think add to this intensity that then is the component in the friendship formula uh, that makes the game so effective at creating and forging uh, very deep, meaningful relationships between people. If we um, were to plot it on a chart, something like value at stake and the meaningfulness or the emotion, whatever it may be that, you know, that, that goes into that friendship factory. Um, what do you think is the, the shape of that curve? Meaning how much value do you need? Or like, do you need a lot of value to get all of the good things you're getting in Eve? And is there a point where there's just so much value at stake that people will refuse to engage? And I'm thinking about this in the context of both games that have no value. And so players just don't care. They, you know, they don't engage. It's just whatever honor and call of duty achievement trophy you may get from it. Um, but then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, me against you playing uh, die for a board ape, right. Or it's like, Oh man, like, I don't know if I want to put that on the line. Right. And so what do you think is the shape of the curve when you think about the impact of, of value at stake and people's depth of experience? Uh, <clears throat> So I think it is, so the, um, the value at stake in E-Online is maybe pretty unique because it is usually something you have uh, worked very hard for, either alone or with a group of people, inside the theme of the game. So the, the, the value might be irrationally higher in the game than maybe outside of the game. The, if you were to take something that is at stake in a PvP match, I pull it on a secondary market, which is a terms of service violation in the case of EVE Online, the, the dollar value might be high, but not in relation to what you feel about it. The, the, and this is a little bit how it's hard to value things in different economies uh, purely on the basis of just looking at it from afar, because different things can be differently valuable in different places. 
the value of fresh water in Iceland is practically zero. There's just endless amounts of it. The value of fresh water in Sahara is very high. So the, 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 um, there is that aspect of it. So, so it's, I, I don't think people are necessarily making like a, a value, kind of a, a monetary value kind of feeling at stake. There, there's a lot at stake when you're in, 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 in war at the online. It's, it's the actual value of the things you're losing. It's your honor and reputation as a person in, in, in that world. It is, uh, maybe you don't mind losing all the value if your friends make it out alive. There, there, there are so many complicated nuanced things that are at stake that, uh, I think it would be uh, a disservice to the, the passion that people put on all the new ones inside, mostly PvP engagement in online. It isn't so much always about just the, 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 the value of the ship you just lost. I can relate my own story when I felt the worst from having lost a, uh, a spaceship in Eve and, and make that, maybe that would maybe illuminate some of this. So, um, I, Obviously, was working very hard with a team of people to make it online. So I didn't really have much time to actually play it. Uh, sure, we're, we're playing these internal play tests and to, things like that. But when, quote unquote, nothing is at stake, it's very hard to kind of be truly engaged with the game. So then we released the game. I am very busy making the servers work and figuring out all the broken things and half finished stuff we had released. Uh, but uh, a few months into it, um, uh, I have a baby or me and my wife, we have a baby and, uh, I'm on paternity leave and, um, and, uh, what I quickly find out, uh, that when you're on paternity leave and when you're a workaholic like myself, the, there's a lot of downtime. You really have to be there in case something happens, but there are like good stretches of time where mother and baby are both asleep. So. I'm like kind of twiddling my thumbs and, uh, ah, maybe to go play a game. I haven't played the game either. So I'm like playing, I think I was playing Never in the Nights or something like that. And it's like, oh, no, that doesn't really feel like, what does it do? So maybe I go and play Eve Online. And uh, I'm like playing Eve Online. And that's also kind of doesn't really feel amazing. I just start making lists of things that are broken and enter into a defect tracking system. <laughs> so I'm just literally doing work. Um, and, but then somebody pings me or a lot of people are pinging me at the time and uh, asking me to join their corporation. And I'm like, at the end of my rope on uh, engaging with our defect tracking database on all the things that we need fixing. And I just, uh, ah, let's just do it. Let's, I, I mean, it, it, I don't really know what to say if somebody asks me who I am, but uh, anyway, I'll just uh, try it out. And, uh, and this is some little high-sec mining corporation in E-Online that is uh, playing to get everyone into a battleship. It was kind of the, what people did back in the early days of Eve. You start in a frigate, you want you build to a cruiser, and you want to get to a battleship. And for everyone listening to this that are playing Eve currently, you actually did mine in battleships back then. Um, 
So uh, we are there. We're a little kind of high-sec mining corp. Uh, the, the CEO is obviously like an older guy. I quickly figured out because he is having the problem that his grandson is constantly yanking out his modem cable. Yes, it was played through a modem at the time. And uh, we're there happily mining away. And uh, I'm like, oh, this is fun. We're like uh, mining here together. We quickly figure out there's a big problem with how we're mining because we're all mining into one can and then people are doing the hauling and I'm, I'm realizing all the content progression curves are going to get broken because people have already broken the game or almost about to go and fix that. But then I kind of figure out it's much more uh, interesting to be mining socially because you have to trust the people who are doing the hauling and whatever. And, and they're always asking me, uh, like, oh, hey, uh, who are you? It's like, yeah, I'm, I live in Iceland. Yeah, what do you do? Well, I kind of work in IT. Uh, do you know the CCB guys? Yeah, of course, it's a small country. So I'm kind of finding this way of like, didn't really want to lie, but I'm kind of uh, answering in, in generalizations. Uh, then there's this one moment, I'm on just a little frigate, I'm in a little Tristan, uh, and I'm mining like with the others in the smallest ship. And the guy who was like next, next to me mining, he has a thorax, which is like a cruiser-sized ship. And he's like, oh, I'm about to lock off. Uh, uh, see you guys tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. So uh, if you lend me your thorax, uh, then I can use the thorax to mine and I will contribute to the group faster rather than mining in my tiny little frigate. And he's like, uh, okay. Well, uh, that's fine. Um, just follow me back home. I need to drop something off in a, in a space station. I fly with him to the space station and voila, we, he gives me the ship and voila, I'm in a cruiser. It's amazing. But I need to get back to the mining operation where we were doing the mining. And, uh, and then I'm like, oh, it's far away. And I put like an auto pilot path. And, uh, and I go to the toilet uh, while the ship is flying back to the mining up. And when I come back to the toilet, I look at the screen. There's a picture of a pod. And pod is what happens when your ship explodes. You are like an escape pod. And I, I, I actually used the pod quite a bit because I was working on the 3G engine. And I used the pod as a reference model. And when I see the pod on the screen, i like, oh, there's the pod. And I'm like, there's the pod. Oh my God, I didn't check the autopilot path for if I was in low, low security. If I was entering into low security, we didn't have like a good system to validate that at the time. So somebody has gatecamped me and exploded the spaceship that I just borrowed from my friend, who's like <laughs> my new friend in this mining outfit. Uh, and he trusted me with his thorax and I lost it like 10 minutes after he lent it to me. Oh my God, that's so embarrassing. And then I was like, wait a minute. I can just make a new one. I, I'm the CTO. I, I can just, I, I know how to do that. And then I become extremely disappointed in myself, uh, thinking of cheating in my own game. And I was like, cheating? Why does it feel so much like cheating? And at the time, by the way, for context, MMO developers were making shit in their game all the, all the time. And I was like, it feels so wrong. And I'm so disappointed in myself. And I'm standing on the floor, like, strucken 
having all these feelings over the fact that I, I lost the spaceship that was maybe worth, I don't know, $10 or, or $100. I don't really know what in, in the, the, those days economies uh, today. It certainly wouldn't be worth a lot today. A Forex and Himalayan is not an expensive share. And it is devastating me. Uh, so I then obviously don't do anything uh, unallowed. And I start mining in Himalayan to repay my friend uh, the thorax and mine even more so it can make up to the corporation to uh, the, the, the time they lost because I lost the spaceship and like now and, and all those things. And then I end up sitting there mining away for the next few weeks and my wife comes and looks at me and it's like, Hilmar, what is wrong with you? <laughs> You've spent the past three years death crunching to make this game and you sit here mining in it. What is wrong with you? Well, 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 we don't think about it. I need to repay my internet friend, the spaceship I borrowed. And it's like, and uh, yeah, so there can be a lot at stake and it's not just the money. It's probably the best story I've, I've heard so far about uh, game creator and the, its own creation. You sitting there for weeks mining away. Love that. Um, we're coming up on time, unfortunately. I've um, you know enjoyed this, and I still have a bunch of questions, but uh, we'll have to do that some other time. Um, Carlos Hilmar, thank you guys so much, Hilmar. You specifically for taking the time and uh, answering all of our questions. There's a lot to uh, to dig into here, and some fantastic uh, anecdotes that you told us about. Eve um, learned a lot, and uh, still a lot to digest for me. So, uh, Hilmar, thank you uh, for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for being generous with your time, as always. Yeah, thank you, guys. All right, listener, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. It was a long one, but it was worth it. Um, if you did, let us know, join the Discord, and we'll uh, see you soon in the next episode.